here for the fourth session of Futurescapes. Um, so today we have for you uh, Prithvisha Bharati. And uh, before I sort of introduce her, I'd like to say a couple of words about ADI. ADI is Associations of Designers of India. Um, we are an association that's committed to promoting the best practices in design uh, in India. And uh, if you'd like to find out more, please log on to www.adi.org.in. And you can also log on to Instagram and you can find us there. Um, uh, our tag is adi.community. Uh, there you'll find all the updates on our latest events and activities. Uh, so without further delay, I'd like to introduce uh, our speaker today. So uh, Pratusha is an industrial designer uh, and uh, she's got a background in electronics engineering. Um, she is the co-founder of NemoCare. Uh, NemoCare is a, is a medtech startup that focuses on neonatal care. And uh, they have recently developed a patented IoT-enabled wearable uh, for newborns that continuously monitors uh, necessary vital parameters uh, like apnea, hypothermia, and other distress conditions. So it basically monitors vitals and uh, sees if these and detects if these conditions are, are uh, and help, helps doctors through that. So um, today uh, she's going to be talking about uh, uh, the COVID scenario and also uh, reimagining sort of the future of of, uh, the, uh, of the role of design in the medtech uh, arena. And uh, without further delay, I sort of hand it over to you. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for having me here. And um, thank you, um, Adarsh, for that lovely introduction. So today I'll be talking, uh, so predominantly for the last um, nine years or so, I've been working mainly in the area of uh, medical technology, um, designing products, uh, designing technologies, uh, working closely with uh, biomedical engineers and doctors, uh, patients, and uh, have been working in the area of um, designing better experiences, better user experiences to enhance the quality of care that patients uh, receive. Um, so when we're talking about that primarily, um, well, when we look at medtech industry in general, uh, we have to imagine um, the two users. One is, uh, so it's always the two people that you're designing for. One is the clinicians, the healthcare workers, and the patients. So uh, that is the first challenge when you uh, start designing for medtech because uh, empathizing with two different kinds of users who have completely different needs is a um, primary challenge that is opposed to any designer working in this field. So today I'll be talking about um, how we've been seeing the, the world change in front of our eyes in the last 18 months or so. And um, it is it has presented unprecedented humanitarian crisis to our country and uh, not just medtech industry but every uh, aspect of life has been changing a lot uh, um, it is completely different from what we know um, and as a startup as a designer in the medtech industry and the predominantly also a person who runs a business uh, here in this area we have faced not one but many quite a few challenges uh, but Today, I'm here to talk about the lessons that can be taken from that, uh, mainly for us as uh, designers, mainly for us as business owners, and how we can implement or start, um, you know, uh, learning from those um, uh, lessons um, as we move forward. And uh, this is also, so I think why it's important to talk about this, is, let me start with that, actually, why it's important to talk about uh, post-pandemic era, or what why it's important and imperative that we take lessons out of this um, situation that we're going through is because 
going forward, though it's not going to be a clean slate, it is um, any crisis presents uh, humanity two options. Either you um, learn from it or you don't learn from it. So I think we as uh, a generation have to belong to, um, uh, I mean, going forward, we have to belong to a, a sect of people who have learned from these mistakes because uh, it's not the mistakes, it's, it's the, when there is a crisis that happens, it presents beautiful opportunities for us to actually um, take away from them. Um, yes, of course, it has presented, it has uh, created, it has disrupted livelihoods as we know, it has disrupted uh, lives as we know, it has disrupted every aspect of every industry as we know. There have been many, many, many uh, restrictions, many, many uh, issues with, uh, with related to livelihoods like jobs, then it has uh, not just reflected on the industries like manufacturing and agriculture, but also on climate change as well. So, uh, going forward, what happens is when we take lessons from here and go forward from there is when we make that change that is necessary. Uh, it is not just the preparedness, but it is also for a better future. It is not just two generations. So I think um, in terms of how COVID has affected uh, in general, yes, but what it has done to... Um, us as consumers, especially uh, people who I'm talking again, uh, I'll shift my focus completely in the medical and healthcare uh, domain. Uh, when it comes to what, um, like I was saying, my users are two people. One is clinicians and the uh, patients. So when you're talking about your consumers, when you're talking about your users, the paradigm shift that is happening towards their behavioral change is being massive. Um, so one major change that has happened to consumers itself is hygiene. Uh, in terms of, we have always, as a society, as a, as a culture, as Indian culture, we've always been very cognizant about hygiene in terms of, you know, cleaning hands and being uh, very um, particular about how we go about. But then uh, now it has come to a point where uh, I think it has mentally now just become part of your DNA to sort of um, always sanitize and, you know, uh, the, the entire, uh, your attitude towards hygiene is something that has taken a huge shift. And that's, that I think it's reflecting in the way um, sanitizers are out of market, uh, PPE kits are out of market right now. And we have faced such immense challenge with respect to procuring these, uh, even for our health. So, that has changed quite, uh, it's a huge shift that has happened. Uh, so when I'm talking about these paradigm shifts, I think one thing that what is going to uh, lead to this is these paradigm shifts have actually presented the opportunities for us to take forward from. Uh, so what what, um, what COVID has done, apart from doing all the damage that it has done, it has created a silver lining. It is uh, it has basically created new care pathways, which I uh, would call, like to call, uh, in, in, in the most unprecedented pace. In uh, moving at what is called, uh, in, we have a favorite term for it, we, have, we call it the COVID speed. You know, so uh, when you're talking about, uh, when you're designing something with respect to technology, with respect to a certain uh, kind of technology that you're uh, using, for example, uh, just our product, when we were designing the product, uh, it uh, it was a basic um, vitals collecting monitor for newborns, and we were designing for a very niche population. So we had um, we had many challenges, but the biggest challenge we had at that time was the fact that um, remote monitoring or yeah, a lot of people, Apple Watch or, you know, Fitbits were just about, you know, like 
probably 5% of the population is uh, what uses it. But so patient data monitoring, uh, patient data collection and understanding that data and being able to give health insights based on that monitoring or the, or the monitor data um, was something that, so when we started off with this work, it was about five years ago, we were um, basically designing a product that was supposed to, or we were hoping will come into adoption 10 years from there. So five years from now was when we thought, you know, the market will be fully opened up for a product like that. But what we are seeing now is unprecedented in the way that everybody, every household you know has a pulse oximeter i think two years ago nobody would have imagined that every household would have a pulse oximeter i think when i was talking about um our, our device collects um spo2 data which a pulse oximeter does and uh, when i was talking about spo2 or oxygenation levels to people two years ago i don't think anybody even had an idea a lot of investors that i was speaking with i still had to break it down and explain and say what oxygen levels are for a body and what what it reflects um, as so but now i think everybody knows what spo2 levels are everybody knows what oxygenation levels are and this kind of data this kind of knowledge this kind of, um, you know, people uh, understanding towards um, personal health monitoring was something that we had, we as an industry had never imagined two years ago. So I think beyond the crisis, beyond everything, that I see as a silver lining, that as is, I see as an opportunity to what we are heading towards. And this actually presents as a clean state, clean slate, because um, not just from the consumer's point of view, but even from clinician's point of view, I think when I was talking about how people will probably use our device to monitor their own children at home, doctors laughed at me two years ago. They said that's impossible, you know, because we ask them to monitor temperature using a thermometer and still people are, you know, not so okay with it. But now I think uh, uh, the situation is completely different. So that I think is a, one of the major paradigm shifts that's happened in the industry which uh, both clinicians and consumers are um, not immune to. The other major uh, user research insight that we had got, like when we were, we are constantly on the field talking with doctors, and that's one of the things that you have to keep doing as a designer in the medical field. Um, so one of the major um, issues that we had with doctors was more than consumers, more than people, more than patients, it's the doctors who are very, very uh, resistant towards adoption of new technology. Yes, they, um, they like it. Uh, they like new technology aiding them in the way that they can deliver care. But with doctors, you see what happens is that they are uh, accustomed to years of training. They go through four years of MBBS, then, uh, you know, three years of post-graduation and a couple of years of uh, fellowships and training. And so that's about 10 years of education and training in a certain way. And when you ask them to change it or when you ask them to uh, adopt something new into their practice, especially because the risks are very high, their resistance towards that adoption is very, very, very high. So uh, one of the hospitals that we had um, initially been working with was AIG before they shifted into their new campus here. Uh, the old campus, they had an uh, immense amount of patient flow that uh, the kind of volumes that they saw was uh, was so high at one point that, uh, so AIG had commissioned uh, IIT Hyderabad, they were, you know, technology partners for developing new technologies for them. And uh, one of the discussions that had happened was to ease out the workflow for doctors for helping them or uh, people used to come from all parts of the country 
all parts of the world to see these doctors and they would wait for days together because they wouldn't get an appointment so one of the simple problems these doctors had was to be able to uh, see more patients in a day one thing and second thing uh, to reduce the travel because people were coming all the way they used to come all the way from kolkata in a train to come see the doctor and take the train back in the evening and go back this was how they used to commute to see a doctor for a day for one single consultation so a simple problem i mean when you're thinking from a designer's point of view or a technologist's point of view a simple solution to that problem was to be uh, was to enable remote consultation and you wouldn't imagine the amount of resistance doctors had towards remote consultation 3 4 years ago 4 years ago doctors unless they see a patient physically would never be comfortable uh, being able to diagnose anything and that is still there today but the problem is right in your face now and the problem is with regards to your safety and with your family's safety they are they have no other option but to adopt this now every doctor that we know every patient that we know wants remote consultation and this kind of paradigm shift is something that was unprecedented i think something that this industry probably did not imagine would come 10 years you know from a couple of years back and now it's already here where we are seeing uh, uh, this sort of remote consultation and uh, you know doctors being able to actually connect with patients from across the country and across the world the third uh, the fourth major thing that we had never seen people spending was preventative healthcare preventative healthcare just as a business uh, just in terms of an idea if you had gone to any investor uh, with this idea a couple of years ago i think uh, would be uh, something that they did not were not very comfortable with because preventative healthcare is the most logical thing for all of us to be able to do to be able to take care of us but the but people just never spent money on it ever and the way that is changing and uh, the way people are actually proactive towards preventative healthcare is actually um, now really heartwarming to see and something that i think is um, is is a great opportunity for designers going forward so in terms of how we are seeing this scatter uh, in terms of yes like uh, like i was just talking about the behavioral change needed from doctors is usually higher than from patients themselves uh, so in terms of uh, the resistance towards the adoption of technology now we see that has actually opened up this entire space so people are now much much more open to remote patient monitoring remote patient monitoring was something that we typically saw in sci-fi movies at one point and now it's a reality that i check my own spo2 i check my own temperature i make a chart i note it down and you know actually refer to a doctor or consult with a doctor over uh, a telehealth app and actually you know be able to consult and diagnose myself and you know take care of myself without even probably going to a hospital so we are seeing that happen right in front of our eyes mental mental health and wellness app apps have taken over the entire space i think this is the crisis has presented this um, this uh, huge opportunity where people are now starting to understand how important mental well being is the ai based um, predictive health and, and insights are taking up uh, like uh, deepak john mathew was talking a couple of uh, talks ago uh, ai is coming up ai is uh, you know we've been talking about it for the longest time but it's hard it's 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 a uh, it's so exciting for me uh, for me as a as a product owner as a as a product designer to see uh, how this technology is actually making difference to lives now because you know radiologists are Uh, the amount of hr cts the amount of ct um, cts that are going through in a single day in any of these labs 
startups that you take in across the country that is so high right now and startups are actually cashing in on that where you know we are able to actually give the corad score based on um, you know the cities and the way radiology has is transforming with respect to ai it's 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 unprecedented it's something that we have not thought would happen so soon but it's it's happening right now and it's probably happening while you don't even know that it's happening to you um so it's 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 great to see all of these opportunities that have opened up and this space has opened up like never before so because the space has opened up like this it is uh, uh so like with every uh, yin yang situation uh it has come up with a lot more challenges but then uh, i think what we can do collectively is to figure out these mitigation strategies i don't think anybody single handedly has figured it out uh, it's all evolving at the moment it's all uh, in the process of um, you know in a place where um, what we do now what we uh, collectively do now what we individually do now how we uh, target or um, tackle these situations is how is what is going to set the precedent for years to come in terms of uh, in 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 every aspect of design and every aspect of um, uh, role that we can uh, play so when we are talking about i mean again i'm going to shift my focus mainly to as as designers how we are going to help uh the challenges that we are facing today one of the primary challenge like i was just talking about uh how um so much of digital health space has opened up and has presented opportunities for a lot more companies to come in and and, and start um playing around here uh that has posed the biggest challenge possible right now for um the, the way the user experience is going to be designed for this um so one of the key reasons why this adoption to technology is so low especially with clinicians is is the fact that is because uh, the kind of fatigue it brings in it, it because uh, everybody thinks a great ehr system a great um, you know ehr actually helps the doctor see many patients but when we uh, when we go back and actually look at that data a patient a doctor has to spend um, 16 more minutes approximately on each patient to be able to use or to be able to consult that patient through an ehr system a badly designed ehr system so that is actually bringing in that fatigue bringing in that uh you know unnecessary uh, complication to the way uh the, the the flow the workflow has to be um, dealt with and that is actually bringing many many more uh, challenges with respect to adoption but now now because the the playing field is now actually clear now they have no other option but to adopt them because of the crisis that we are in uh it is the the, the biggest responsibility will fall on the ux and the ui designer to be able to actually simplify these workflows to be able to uh, provide uh, you know to um, conduct um, precise user research and with challenging constraints so that they can actually deliver the best or develop the Uh, best design experiences for the caregivers and the patients and the healthcare workers because a badly designed uh, app or a badly designed product or a user experience for the product is the uh, break or break situation for uh, things like this and now they're trapped in a place where they cannot go backwards they have to go forward with technology and a badly designed uh, user experience can actually be a uh, hell for um, the care especially the caregiver uh so now uh, another big challenge that we are starting to see is that uh, the amount of data that is flowing through our system just the healthcare system uh, it is even without any of this technology even without any of this digital health space uh, opening up uh, we've seen that medical data itself is a mammoth to handle uh, 
especially for the patients because the minute you start accumulating your patient file let's say you are stayed in a hospital for about 15 days because of something that happened to you uh, just the amount of data that you will start to accumulate and to try to make sense of it is a mammoth of a task because there is so much documentation it is so haphazard it is so um badly poorly kept that uh, it is it is just impossible to actually cut through the chase uh so delivering simplified information without morphing the critical data it is the huge challenge that we are going to start seeing now because uh the amount of data that the patients themselves are going to be monitoring for themselves are handling themselves because uh, there is no healthcare worker that is going to handhold you through this uh, and now that remote consultation and report, remote patient monitoring is going to be the norm in the near future uh, that data that they are going to start uh, handling is going to be much more so for us also uh, irrespective of all of this uh, for a simple product that we were designing especially for newborns uh the challenge was critical that you know that we had to give the right information to the parents and the right information to the doctor you can always give the right information to the doc- doctor always wants to see the full picture but when the user is a patient or a consumer what happens is a kind of data that you're showing them is going to either be the make or break situation between you know the fear and anxiety starts to build up and you know it's going downhill from there or it is just the right amount of data that they're able to take actionable uh you know uh actionable steps to go forward and actually deal with the situation that they are in so how you present that data the baby is going through apnea are you going to induce panic and fear in the parents or are you going to actually uh you know give them the next critical step that they have to go through to get the right right medical intervention so what how you're going to design that experience or how you're going to present that data is going to be centric to how uh, medical um, technology experiences are going to roll out further down the line so that again brings me to the next point which says refrain from inducing anxiety people are and will be going through a lot of their entire mind uh, m- mental shift has been towards uh, fear and anxiety and the way they're dealing with um, you know this uh, huge amount of unknown data unknown medical terms that they are already uh, dealing with and trying to make sense of it is already inducing a lot more fear but the way you are going to design these experiences going forward is how um, the adoption will take place so i think um, the next important uh, challenge that all of us as designers and technologists are going through in the current medtech um, industry is accelerated timelines it is uh, it has been um, um weird actually to say that the way the entire system has slowed down thanks to the you know the the delays the 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 nightmarish situations that we are in with respect to you know how your uh, team members are uh, doing and you know how your suppliers are doing how your vendors are doing how um, how well uh, there are so many aspects when you have to roll a product out right from your designing your right from your core team to how your clinical trials are going to roll out to how the product is actually going to you're going to um, you know uh, design a go to market strategies so but uh, but right now with the way that things are moving especially in the medtech industry uh, it is uh, it is worked the opposite direction it is uh, while other industries have slowed down quite a bit accelerated timelines have um, have taken center stage uh, with respect to medical uh, product development um, and how are we trying to achieve it especially with respect to diagnostics um, 
PPE kits and you know a uh, lot of uh, these other auxiliary pr- uh, products with respect to covid have had to see accelerated timelines but what is the beauty is the way the systems are being designed around how you can accelerate these timelines is actually uh, you know you can call it the playbook this is an important lesson that we can actually take forward in and all the unnecessary delays that we were dealing with res- with respect to product development can actually be cut down uh, and this is an important lesson we should be uh, taking forward from here so uh, we have seen a lot of companies who are you know uh, coming up with hyper rap- rapid iteration to arrive at a minimum viable product uh, coming to mvp was something that uh, you know a lot of startups struggle with a lot of companies actually do a dilly dally and you know uh, the way that they uh, even if they're following lean systems to reach an mvp is one of the toughest journey a startup has to take but now the way that uh, that we are able to use um, technologies like 3d printing or um, you know now that everything has um, actually become remote and people are not traveling people are becoming a little more innovative in the way that they can actually iterate to get to that mvp as fast as possible uh, plan for interruptions covid if one thing covid has taught us is to see how many distractions and business interruptions can be caused by a single event that is completely out of our hands i think uh, everybody has contingency plans everybody uh, has you know uh some sort of plan a plan b plan c that you know comes with product development but i think the way that this has played out the way last year has played out is nothing short of a sci-fi movie and i don't think anybody has as a team has spent time to think of hypothetical situations that could probably happen only in movies so now that this real life situation has actually presented to ourselves uh it is important that you as a team take that time out to think about how to prepare for disruptions like this your something is not going to come on time your your production is not going to happen on time your uh, parts are not going to come your raw material is not going to come on time so there are so many interruptions that uh, we don't take into consideration when we are going ahead with this because we always have this a uh, lot of things that we have taken for granted and now it's a good way to now actually start planning because a lot of things cannot be taken granted at the moment including indo china war i don't know when that will break out but it might just you know so uh, another key thing that a lot of um, designers who are working in the medtech space who are not very cognizant i mean uh, i personally find a lot of such people who think um, regulatory issues are not their uh, cup of tea it's something that a different team has to manage but be smart about your regulatory issues being cognizant about the kind of regulatory issues that you will bump into and how you can actually work around the system how where do you lie where, where you as a company or you as a product or uh, your use cases and your um, exact goals that you have set for your product keeping them in mind and working around the system and being smart about these regulatory issues can be uh, all the difference that would really make to having an accelerated timeline uh, we as a country generally uh, we have a very complex regulatory landscape especially when it comes to medical device industry we are so nascent that uh you know just to kind of figure out your first step can take a long time and if you are even going looking at fda and other sort of regulatory issues um, in a mature ecosystem is actually much more easier to navigate uh, though it's a longer process and time taking and uh, you know um, uh, investment heavy but actually knowing your ways to work around the system and being smart about it can actually help you accelerate that product development timeline the fourth and the most important time most important um, aspect 
that we all have learned through this uh, crisis is to be able to support your team irrespective of how you're doing individually irrespective of how you're doing as a company you might be sinking you might be heading into bankruptcy or, or whatever your team your team uh, you're keeping your morale high keeping and uh, supporting your team can um because especially now that you're not going to be together for i don't know how long i, I mean the this is probably something that we have to get used to forever but uh being able to support your team through this product development process to be able to personally being able to connect with them on any personal issues that they might be having and having taking that time out to be able to make that call or make that message happen can make a lot of difference for your uh, timelines the last uh, aspect of uh, product development or the challenge that we got, i'm going to be talking about and personally something that we as a company have faced are still trying to overcome and something that uh, any hardware product uh, which is not very talked about because generally we as a country don't like um, you know hardware products but this is a major major right now with respect to manufacturing and supply chain um so this another company another startup that we know of um in medtech space uh, very smartly so they were uh, making glucose strips for um, the home glu- glucometer for monitoring your glucose at home uh, there was the company that was predominantly sticking to that and when the market i mean covid hit and uh, suddenly the market went topsy turvy they had this huge workforce that was working with them and um, they had to sustain the business they had to keep the steam uh, going and they had to pay out these guys and they still had to be relevant to the market very smartly they the existing manufacturing infrastructure that they have uh the vendor partner that they had they quickly turned around and started developing the swabs that they used to test for your rt pcr i think this is one of the very smart moves that most of the startups most of the companies have very innovatively pivoted so cross functional cross domain collaboration looking outside your zone looking outside your respective area looking outside your comfort zone uh in, in this is all about surviving sustaining and floating through till you find your ground and this is what a lot of companies started doing um, within our country too a uh, lot of people have taken advantage especially when the in the initial few days there was this huge rush for 3d um for uh, ventilators and cpap machines and oxygen masks were in um, short supply uh, 3d additive manufacturing people started uh, 3d printing these oxygen masks and and, and they they've done so they've uh, done so beautifully we as a country are um i must say we are so uh, restrictive we're so um, um not so up there with respect to manufacturing we are very limited resources that we cannot update in especially hardware con- companies within the country have a tough time finding vendors in especially in the initial uh, days of batch manufacturing have so many more challenges with respect to manufacturing but they've all pivoted and they've all made the maximum of what was available to us at that point and and uh, these were the um opportunities that started coming by i think uh, i have not seen 3d printing being used in uh, medtech industry as much as it has been used last year so that that sort of flexibility with your manufacturing having uh, plan a plan b plan c having contingencies within your manufacturing process and assembly lines is a huge uh, uh, thing that you can do it's a huge step that you can take with respect to how you are uh, going about planning for your manufacturing the existing manufacturing system so people started 
uh, a lot of uh, EV companies we started seeing were, you know, turning towards manufacturing of ventilators. A lot of uh, automobile companies were uh, lending a helping hand because we, these were established assembly lines. And for them, they have to keep running and they have to, it is us, it is, it's up to us about how innovative we can go how innovative we can be about finding a vendor who you would have never imagined otherwise would be uh, you know uh, developing any medical technology or manufacturing anything medtech uh, being able to repurpose something assembly lines which are already set like that to be able to uh, use for yourself is is i think how innovatively we can go about uh, uh, target uh, making this possible and um, one of the biggest lessons that we've all learned like we all We've always taken everything for granted. Uh, it's a grave reality that uh, we cannot manufacture a battery or a lithium-ion battery in this country. So with respect to anything that we require, with respect to even making the smallest pulse oximeter here, we rely on a China to be able to give us any, to rely on battery. To be, If we need a battery, we have to go to China. That is a situation that we have in this country right now. But uh, I think the biggest lesson that hit not just us, not just our country, but then across the world is to be able to diversify and establish these alternative supply chains. Um, and, you know, so Japan has invested recently 2.2 billion into, you know, developing manufacturing clusters, not just um, within China, but outside. So, you know, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, a lot of third world countries, a lot of developing countries are stepping up this challenge where truly I think it's a time to be Atmanibar, not just for us, but for all of these smaller countries which have the potential to become manufacturing hubs. And uh, we as a country have great potential. We have somehow never tapped into it. We have the wheels have started rolling, but I, I hope soon we'll get there where we can um, be self-reliant with respect to at least for a little bit. I don't think any country completely on its own can become self-reliant with respect to manufacturing. But uh, diversifying those clusters and not just relying on one single country is going to be the greatest learning that we will be taking away as manufacturing companies, um, I think, post-COVID. So with that, I come to an end. But uh, one of the interesting conversation that I did not cover in this uh, presentation, I was having this conversation with the doctor recently. I said, uh, if you, you know, really require or looking forward to see something in products, design something in products, post um, this pandemic and this is one doctor who's been fighting in the front lines has been managing ICUs which are overflowing with 100 patients and uh, I asked him what what could be that one insight what be that one input uh, that you could give us which will help you know tackling something like this if it comes again what should we have done he said uh, very simply he said uh, if there is a way to design for people's stupidity that should be put in because somehow we just don't seem to understand that staying at home is important and no matter what we design we still have to consider the fact that there are no dumb products there are no dumb people it's only the products and the systems that are being dumb and uh, we have to still uh, consider designing for those um, so that being said, uh, it's an important message that we have to take away, stay, stay home, stay safe. It's not the same right now outside and doctors are fighting to keep their heads above the water right now. And it's our duty to stay home and take care of ourselves and our family. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that uh, lovely talk. Uh, so I'll just jump into some questions. Uh, so yeah, there are yeah. some questions that we had. Uh, one question was, um, you know, you spoke about data a lot. You know, yes. uh, you know how we're collecting a lot of data and processing it is such a big uh, sort of a task. 
uh, one question that we are seeing all around the world is uh, about data sovereignty right like who owns the data uh, so when a data is generated from a from a uh, from a device sort of uh, who owns it from a personal level to a city level to a, a state level to a national level so uh, so what are some of your sort of views on that um, and uh, you know how you as a company are dealing with something like that it's a it's a very important um, very burning question i think uh, not just for us but a lot of policy makers across the world and a lot of uh, the aspects around that questions haven't been figured out yet to be very very frank with you um, but the po- the point is um, honestly at this point nobody owns data even if you own the servers through which these data the data is running uh, nobody owns a data except for yourself you own your health data at the point that is the basic core value on which any of these policies are being built but at the moment in terms of how uh, who owns the data with respect to a country or with respect to uh, a certain system i don't think anybody owns our data nobody has the right i mean uh, privacy is something that is going to be um a very very um, you know high priority thing that people will have to start taking care of which i think uh, any any telehealth company uh, right now we are rolling out at a very fast pace and nobody's really looking into it and we as a country have um, not many policies designed around it except for the fact that our service should not be offshore all the data that's running through our servers have to be on the shore that is the only uh, in terms of um, policy that we have uh, with respect to medical data but otherwise uh, most of the telehealth or most of the digital uh, health companies that are functioning right now are following the guidelines for hipaa mm-hmm. which is uh, yeah hipaa guidelines are being followed but nobody has any we as a country do not have a certification yet uh, with the, which we have to adhere to particularly but i think uh, as a pol- policies get built like i was saying the uh, privacy has to be designed into Uh, most of these health systems that we are uh, going forward in designing but the core value is except for you nobody owns your health data nobody should own your health data yeah you have a question from michael uh, what should we consider for designing a telehealth product for remote india okay <laughs> yeah that's a that's, a big, that's a big monster that's the big monster everybody wants to tackle so uh, india is uh, many countries in one country Uh, like we all know uh, when you are designing a app or telehealth app uh, for uh, india one thing that you have to uh, kind of understand is when you go from east to west it is going to have so many changes that will have to be built into it that it is very difficult to roll out but that being said people are still uh, uh, being able to uh, roll out these products one of the uh, important things that we have started to see is um, having vernacular languages built into your app can be of great help this is one thing that we have realized with our own company um, that uh, the way so for example um, vernacular if you are content heavy if you are a telehealth app which is content heavy which is able to give instructions and for people to be able to follow those instructions having uh, vernacular languages greatly helps uh, but that again is a very big scaling issue but it's something that you have to invest into if, especially if you have to remote uh, design for remote india but that being said if you have got, if you have a great ui for example whatsapp is not you know in vernacular language it still has uh, if your if your uh, goal or if your uh, goal of your remote uh, telehealth app is very simple Uh, then uh, having a great ui is um, i think the um, challenge that you can actually that the um, magic 
um, key that you can use to open this uh, up because for example i think a lot of people who can't type in english are now using the speak button in whatsapp and you know yeah. relaying their messages across so something as simple as that if you're able to use um, the experience the user experience and the user interface designed for them properly i think um, it's an important step forward yeah uh, so guys please uh, keep uh, putting your questions in the chat box uh, so we have one more question uh, saying uh, how did you uh, get into designing for medical equipment or like medical medtech like how did you get into it okay so like what was your it it uh, i think it was meant for me to have to get there but um, so when i was born my mother wanted to, me to be a gynecologist because she is one uh, that's how it started but uh, the rebellious child in me was always uh, doing something that opposite to what my parents told me was something that kept me going i took up took up engineering and then once i was done with okay this is what engineering has for me and then i went into product design when i went to nid um it was interesting because nid just suddenly opened up this huge gamut of experiences that we could go through and uh, there were so many things um, i thought okay this is the holy grail when i took a product design okay this is what i'm going to do and oh this is great it's shown me the direction of my life but then the minute that happened i started to realize that within product design the what do you do what do you hope to do what do you want to do what do you hope to achieve is something even trying to figure that out 3 years at nid is not enough but incidentally for me um i think uh, one of the systems design classes with mp ranjan was the, i think the turning um episode for me he pushed us into exploring uh, healthcare because i was sitting in his office and i was talking about all this uh, experience i had as a child growing up uh, you know in hospital because my mom was a doctor and she was a gynecologist and growing up in that hospital environment how it shaped a lot of the things that i think about and when i was talking about this um he pushed us into uh, this thing saying why don't you look at maternal health and very weirdly it so happened that he said okay just write to the health commissioner and say um, that i want to go and see the maternal health state in gujarat and uh, we just wrote a letter we with i don't know what guts we just went in and gave that letter to the health commissioner and the next few days later we had a car that came us picked us up and made us tour five different districts in gujarat and that experience of understanding rural maternal health uh, i don't know how much it made a difference for me as a systems design project but as as a person as um, uh, as a turning episode for my life because it was a world that i did not see i i only came from a, a place where i i thought healthcare was affordable i've seen people buy healthcare i've seen people pay and you know get what they wanted and demand a certain thing from a doctor and get it for themselves but when i saw people being vulnerable and not being able to make a choice i think that was what uh, shook me up so much and there was this underbelly where healthcare systems across the world especially in developing countries are designed to exclude this population exclude uh, pregnant women exclude neonates exclude um, old people the healthcare system is designed to exclude them and the minute uh when i worked closely with those systems was when i realized this is something that i wanted to do and it was a hard way around because the minute if you look at healthcare and you enter corporate healthcare it's it's a completely different 
uh, ball game but uh, trying to be able to do what i thought would make a difference i had to find my own paths so i did a fellowship at iit hyderabad after that and this was a, a fellowship in healthcare entrepreneurship and this presented us with an opportunity to actually work closely with doctors work closely with systems at various levels the healthcare systems at various levels to be able to discover uh, what i wanted to do um, and something that i thought would make a difference um and uh, the minute that happened and we were able to actually develop an mvp we got funded by bill and melinda gates foundation and that kind of kept us going and um so i've been in this field for so far perfect perfect so i think uh, i will just take one final sort of question um so um you know you talked talked about hardware a lot right like hardware uh, development and uh, one thing that we do see is that there's a lack of prototyping facilities uh, and uh, also like hardware development facilities so do you think that we are uh, sort of uh, there yet or are we doing enough uh, for example i know that in hyderabad they are setting up uh, a few facilities that are there for uh, for prototyping so do you think we're doing enough to 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 encourage hardware startup it's not enough it's definitely not enough because uh, i mean there has been a lot of effort though uh, in the last uh, the first time when we started prototyping or i mean the situation about 5 to 6 years ago to now is very different uh, you have a lot of clusters or ecosystems that have come up uh, which can help you prototype and uh, there has been heavy funding into that uh, but there's still some amount of red tapeism that happens there and you know in terms of how you get into any of those facilities and being able to use those facilities to uh, to be able to uh, develop your prototype especially with respect to bangalore and hyderabad there has been a lot of activity there has been not uh, tsic isc has developed their own um, you know makers uh, maker space sort of a lot of these spaces have come up definitely they've been associated with institutes or they've been associated with any uh, biotechnology clusters that have come up within the city so that kind of gives you a long process to actually enter one of these systems to be able to uh, develop your product uh, but uh, so definitely it's not enough there's a lot more to go but there is a lot of um, i hope private funding comes into so the, the, whatever is running right now is mainly running on government funding or uh, you know come under government policies to become atmanirbhar and things like that but if there is lot more private funding i think we can start seeing the the difference that starts happening because you know there are countries that there are cities in this world where every little uh, block has a maker space even in something like scotland and i i was living in a, a remote town called dundee that dundee had uh, three or four maker spaces in every block around so that sort of um, funding either through government or from um, private players will actually see a lot more with respect to uh, prototyping so uh, pratusha thank you so much for joining in i'm sure thank you Uh, thank you for having me hope hopefully that talk helped it was really <laughs> really insightful thank you very much uh, for for everyone who's yeah. in thank you so much for joining in today um and if you're not a member of adi you can log on to adi.org.in to become a member thank you everybody we'll see you next time